Our New Testament lesson is going to come from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21. We're reading Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. He also said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and the liars... Their place will be in the lake of that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I used to joke with church folk. I said, well, I'm not going to preach or teach Revelation till after I've been in a church for over five years. Well, here's the secret. Very rarely does a Methodist pastor stay at a church for more than five years. So that was my get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, I was in the Delta for five years, and I moved. Then three years, three years, five years in pedal. So I'm like, I got this, no problem. Here I sit, wrapping up my seventh year of ministry at St. Matthew's. <laughs> so I guess I guess I guess I will. <laughs> uh, so, so save the clapping after the sermon. You may have a different opinion then. Um, but um, I, I painted myself in a corner there, didn't I? And so I, I guess I got to talk about Revelation now. We're, we're wrapping up our series, uh, uh, long story short, where we are unpacking Scripture and unpacking how Scripture all fits together. What does what each part of the Bible or each section mean? So we started off with the law. The law was the formation of the covenant community, the people for whom the Messiah would come. So we had the law, which led to the histories and the wisdom, which were how the law affected the day-to-day living of the people and their histories and their meditation and their reflection, which then led to the prophets, which were these preachers who arose and called the people to be faithful to the covenant, which then led to the gospels, which was the new covenant of grace as seen through Jesus Christ in the church. Then last, we had Paul's letters and the, the greater letters in the church. These were the theology and the reflection and the teaching and the day-to-day practical explanation of what it means for us now to live out the new covenant of grace. So we've seen the importance in this series of, of, of the covenant and the impact the covenant has upon our lives. So today we get to Revelation. Now here's, guys, if you don't remember anything I tell you, the rest of the sermon. There's one thing I want you to remember, and I want you to drill it down deep in your head. You have to remember, this is very important to me, and I'm not even joking about this. This is very important. It's the book of Revelation, not Revelations. There is no S. Drives me crazy when folks are pontificating about the book of Revelations, and they don't get the name right. It's Revelation. It's the book of the Revelation of 
Jesus Christ to John. Not revelations. There is no S. Revelation. It's, it's one revelation that Jesus Christ gives to John. Now, that's why it's entitled, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. John, we don't know for sure if this John who gets the revelation is John the Apostle. It's possible. I mean, it's entirely possible that it is, it is to John the Apostle. Or if it's to another John, often called John the Revelator. We should have had the choir sing John the Revelator as an anthem today. That would have been fun, wouldn't it? Uh, the, the Gaithers wrote a great, beautiful, I, I'm not a huge Southern Gospel fan, but the Gaithers did a, I, I heard, it may not have been the Gaithers, they did a song called John the Revelator, which is a beautiful song about, about the book of Revelation. So Revelation was, it was a revelation given to John. If you have a Bible that has Jesus' words in red, you're going to see a lot of Revelation be written in red. It is John's revelation to as Jesus' revelation to John. That's that is what's happening here. Revelation is one of the uh, one of the if you will newest books in the Bible. I guess that's the way to put it. It was um, it was a book that was written. Um, we think probably mid nineties A.D. Give or give or take. I don't I don't know exactly the date, but mid nineties ninety three ninety five. Uh, Paul's letters were some of the first letters and first books of the New Testament, mid-40s, 45, 50. Mark was the first gospel, early 50s. Um, Matthew and Luke and John were written in the 50s to the 60s, and then Paul's letters in that same time period. Then you have the other letters, but Revelation was written or given Towards the very end of the New Testament, it was the last book that was given in the New Testament, and that's why it comes there. It was a, a revelation of heaven that John received. John was on an isle called Patmos. Patmos was a, a prison colony. What Rome would do is Rome would ship their prisoners off to Patmos or off to these islands out in the middle of nowhere. They shipped these prisoners out there to get them out of the way. So that's where John was. John was a Christian leader. Like I said, we're not sure if it was John the Apostle, if it was another highly revered John who was shipped off for being a Christian to Patmos, where he would live out the rest of his days. And it was there on Patmos that John received this revelation from Jesus. Revelation is a book that's called apocalyptic literature. Um, in fact, that's what this sermon's actually entitled, Apocalypse. Um, Apocalyptic literature is a very specific form of literature in Scripture. Remember, we've talked in this series about the type of literature that the book is helps you better understand it. So the book of Psalms is a book of religious songs and hymns and poetry. So the book of Psalms tells us that God is a rock and God is a fortress. Well, we know that God is literally not a rock. That's a metaphor for God's strength and God's power. We understand metaphor. We understand psalm. Revelation and other apocalyptic literature, these are pieces of literature that are written in code that are difficult to understand. We're going to talk about the code in a second. We're going to talk about why there's a code. But Revelation is not the only bit of apocalyptic literature in the entire Bible. Daniel 7 through 12 is also apocalyptic. Parts of Ezekiel, parts of many of the prophets, parts of the gospel. These, these apocalyptic, and then, but Revelation is the only book that is majority apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature shows us the greater battle. Um, some of us are very matter of fact, only what's in front of our face. 
Apocalyptic literature shows us that there's a bigger battle waging than just what we see in front of our face. Apocalyptic literature shows us that there's a battle between good and evil, light and darkness. And apocalyptic literature shows us, in many ways, it pulls back the curtain and lets us see this battle that's raging and this battle that one day will be won by the children of light. One day will be won completely by God. One day when evil is completely vanquished. We see that what all apocalyptic literature has in common that it shows us that good will win. For many of us, Revelation is scary. I know I used to be afraid of it. I, I used to joke that, you know, when you're a teenager, you know, you're scared of everything. And uh, I'd get out of the shower and mom wouldn't be there, daddy wouldn't be there. I'm like, oh, it's going to happen. The Lord's going to come back and, it's, and I'm, I'm just, it's just me. Everybody else is gone. Oh, no. Oh, no. So I used to call, jokingly call it my rapture list. I'd call, oh, my granny's here. Okay. Granny's here. Okay. Granny's here. I'm okay. So no granny's going to make it. I shouldn't be on your rapture list, by the way. If I'm on your list, you need to re-examine your list. But Revelation was scary, wasn't it? It's a book that's scary to us. Monsters and dragons and all these terrifying things. And the sad thing is that when we look at Revelation as scary, we miss the point of it. Revelation is not a book of fear, but it's a book of hope. What was the canonical entitle that we read earlier today? The canonical of hope. Revelation is not a book of fear or a book for us to be afraid. Revelation is a book for us, a book of hope. A book of hope. So, real quick, let's drill back into what's happening in Revelation. Let's drill back to what's really happening in this world. Remember I said, I said apocalyptic literature is written in code. It's written in code. We're going to talk about what that code is in one second. Let's talk about why apocalyptic literature is written in code. Let's drill back into what's happening in John's day. Where did I say John was? John was at Patmos. He was in prison. Why was he in prison? Because the early church was getting their doors blown off, y'all. The early church was under the most intense persecution anyone had ever faced. Nero was taking Christians binding their hands, attaching them to poles, and setting them on fire to use them as human torches in his garden. Rome was taking Christians and placing sheepskin around them, throwing them in the Colosseum, and unleashing the lions to eat them for the amusement of the crowd in the Colosseum. I'm going to go from preaching to meddling right now, y'all. Let us never mistake an inconvenience for persecution. No one in the West who freely worships on a Sunday, who has the, has the right to give voice to their faith, has ever faced persecution. We may have faced inconveniences at times, but y'all, a nasty comment on Facebook ain't persecution. A TV broadcast to disagree with ain't persecution. May we who in the West have it incredibly easy never have the gall to claim the inconveniences we may face match up with Christians literally being set on fire for the amusement of an emperor. Are Christians thrown into a lion's 
den for the amusement of the crowd. Let us never mistake small inconveniences or the occasional smirk we receive in our culture as persecution. Let us never compare what we are going through here with what they're going through in China or in Iran or in the Ukraine at this exact moment. Let us never become so myopic that we believe that our inconvenience is actually persecution. Okay, y'all, and guess what? This is the leaders that Paul told Christians to pray for. In Romans 13, when Paul says pray for your leaders, he was talking about the very leaders who in a matter of moments were going to behead Christians. These Christians who are setting, these leaders who are setting Christians on fire, that was the folks Paul told them to pray for. Paul said pray for your leaders, these very leaders killing Christians because they were placed there by God, so pray for them. So that is why since I've been a pastor, I have prayed publicly in worship for President Bush, for President Clinton, for President Bush, for President Obama, for President Trump, and now President Biden. And I will pray for whoever leader we have elected in office because, y'all, my loyalty is to God and his word, not any human opposition organization or government. My loyalty is to Jesus Christ, and he is the one that I will give an account to. No earthly institution or person will I give an account to, but I will give an account for Jesus Christ for how I live my life by his word. And we have got to start being more loyal to Jesus Christ than we are to the things of this world. My allegiance is to Jesus. That is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. God demands our allegiance. Nothing else and no one else. And may we never trade the glory of God for the things of man. Our church went through too much to give us this faith handed to us by the apostles. May we never trade it for the rubbish of this world. Sorry. Uh, SPRC folks, raise your hand, folks, and come find you a little bit and complain to you. <laughs> but Revelation was written in code because the churches get their doors blown off. So the code it was written with was oh, the Old Testament. Revelation never directly quotes the Old Testament, but every word in Revelation is an allusion or has a connection to the Old Testament. It's drenched in the Old Testament. And so to a non-Jewish audience, which the Romans were, they wouldn't get They wouldn't make a bit of... So when, when, when this talked about someone having a rod of iron, the, they would have went, oh, like Psalm 2. Rome wouldn't know what that meant. That had no clue. The code was the Old Testament. And so by the way, guys, that's what makes it confusing for us. Revelation has two things that confuse us. One is this Old Testament code that we don't quite understand or doesn't always make sense to us. Like, we don't quite get what's happening there. We, we don't quite understand it because we aren't immersed in their culture in the same way they are. The secondarily, Revelation, the confusing thing about Revelation is Revelation has to it uh, stuff in the present. So, like, verse, through chapter four, 3 is stuff happening in that moment, letters to the churches. Starting in chapter 4, it's the Revelation, and at that point, some of it's past. Like we see in Revelation 12, the story of Jesus' birth. Some of it's present, that is to come. Some of it's stuff happening in that moment. And the confusing thing about Revelation is we struggle with where does the past start and stop? Where does the present start and stop? Where does the future start and stop? It's figuring out when it transitions from one time to another is what makes Revelation so confusing. And why we always get it wrong. 
Because people are trying to guess it, and we don't know. When Jesus Christ said himself, no man knows the hour or the date. Only the Father. Y'all, and if Jesus doesn't even know, this old boy from Boca Chita ain't going to figure it out either. And so what happens when we try to guess, we get it wrong, we look silly. Y'all remember the book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Return in 1988? So you all remember that one? I used to work at Lifeway. We sold a whole bunch of Hal Lindsey's, the late great planet Earth. They had to revive every few years when he got it wrong. We're always guessing. And when we're guessing, we're missing the very point of Revelation is about. It is a book of hope. Y'all, a book of hope written to a church that is getting its doors blown off by Rome. These were a few insignificant poor, some Jewish, some Gentiles believers in this guy named Jesus that Rome hated, that Rome was trying to destroy. And how can this ragtag bunch of people stand up against Rome when Rome is just blowing them off the face of the earth? And what Revelation says, then this is why Revelation is not scary, but it's hopeful. Revelation says this, the sovereign God of heaven sees the suffering of his people. The sovereign God of heaven sees the suffering of the church. The sovereign God of heaven sees what the people are going through and sees that evil seems to have its moment. But one day, the sovereign God of heaven will come with sword unfurled and evil will be defeated. And death will be defeated. And sin and cancer will be defeated. There will come a time when we don't have to tell our kids how we can help poor folk because the poor folk are taken care of. There's going to come a time when we no more, no, no longer lose a loved one to cancer or a heart attack too early. There will come a time when there will be no more abuse. There will come a time when there will be no more pain. There will come a time when there will be no more death. There will come a time when the sovereign God of heaven will come and make all things right. The book of Revelation is a book written to a church that is being destroyed. And it says this, that God will come, God will restore, and God will fix it. Not on your time, but on his time. Not when you want him to, but when he wants it to. And that nothing, nothing, nothing will defeat Christ and his church. The gates of hell will never triumph against Christ and his church. Nothing will. This is a book of hope. A book of hope. What do we have to fear? We as Christians, y'all, do we believe this or do we not? Do we believe this or do we not? Do we truly believe that nothing will triumph against Christ and his church? How dare we ever say anything is a threat to the gospel? To imply that Christ can be defeated. To imply that the church can be stopped. To imply that anything can stand against God is foolishness. Christ triumphs. It is my deepest prayer that I don't finish this sermon, that he returns before I say my next word. But he will come back on my time, on his time, not on mine. We have got to stop being so afraid of everything. Do we believe his word or do we not? We have got to stop playing the games of our culture in this moment in time and start believing in the power of God. 
We have got to withdraw ourselves from all these games we play in the world and believe in God and stop being afraid. I know who I believe is, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know who I have believed. And until the church does that, then we're just marking time to lunch. Until we actually believe this stuff, y'all, we're just marking time to lunch is all we're doing. That's my problem, y'all. I believe this stuff. And it wearies my soul. It wearies my soul when I see us exchange stuff of God for power or money or fame or whatever. This is a book of hope written to a church in desperate need of it. It's a book that tells us greater is he who's in us than he was in the world. So whom shall I fear? We will give an account to God, y'all. Not to the media. Not to the politicians. Not to any of this mess. But we'll give an account to God. And I'm going to stand before him and say, ain't much good in me. The only thing good in me is my family. But I'm covered by the blood of Christ. And greater is he who's in me than he in the world. This is a book of hope written to the church that says, hold on. God's going to win. So don't lose hope, friends. Don't lose hope. No matter how bad you may feel, no matter how beat up you may feel, no matter how much it may look like the world's winning, evil's winning, hate's winning. Hold on, y'all. If you believe it, if you truly believe it, hold on. Because we know how this ends. Light triumphs over darkness. Maranatha, the Lord, come quickly. May it be so. Let's pray.